Oh, sure. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for this Sabbath day and the opportunity to have a little rest and to learn more about thee and thy son. And um, we're excited for this time to share together with Isaiah. And we invite thy spirit to be with us and all those that join in and also view this in video. And we're so grateful for all the many blessings and for Cameron and his work. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. So I don't know about you, but chapter four just has President Nelson written all over it to me. <laughs> I, I see all of these different little things of how these past few years we're seeing um, Isaiah's prophecies really come to fruition, or if not fruition, at least their beginnings and stuff. I, it, I don't know. I'll be kind of asking lots of different questions throughout, but I... I, I keep seeing President Nelson pop up here. Um, so like on page 110, just kind of starting off in that tangent there, um, it says that through his servant and through other servants who labor with him, Israel's God challenges Jacob slash Israel to cease clinging to a false idea of him and to do more than merely believe that he exists. They must choose between the true God, their savior, and the false gods who can't. Um, who cannot save and ask them to renew their allegiance. And that just seems so much like um, President Nelson. It, it seems like a, a definite delineation between some of our, our previous prophets, Hinckley, um, all of a sudden, <laughs> I, I want to call it, yeah, Monson. I was going to say Nelson, but, <laughs> um, but where, where Nelson just kind of takes a divergence and, and really is um, helping us hear him to, to recognize the savior and, and kind of put away some of these, these past um, distances that, that we have between our, our savior kind of a thing. It, it just really struck me that um, that's one of his uh, ministries is, is to help us uh, get an accurate uh, knowledge or uh, relationship with, with our Savior as we are becoming these uh, brides preparing for, for the wedding feast kind of thing. Um, it really speaks to my heart because that was really missing all those years. How um, many fasts and testimonies? I know this church is true. I know this church is true. Like, wait a minute. Whose church is this? Yeah, for sure. And I, yeah, it, it just seems like we're really starting to turn a page. I remember the first time that it kind of really, the fever broke for me was um, listening to Barbara Morgan Gardner's book, the, um, all of a sudden, I can't remember the title of it, but Women in the Priesthood. Um, have you read that book before? I read the one that Sherry Judith uh -huh. and Nelson did one too, didn't she? Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. And so, um, so tell me the name of that one that you just said. Let me go find it because I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Running through his house. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's the, the priesthood power of women and by Barbara Morgan Gardner. It's such Barbara. a good book. And, and it's just tiny. It's, you know, kind of like um, Wendy Watson's books, you know, they're, they're tiny, but they're so full of lots of information. 
Was that one on Desert Book? Because I uh huh yeah, and that's where I was listening to it. Was the the audible version of it on the Desert app? I um I had to stop that subscription. I think in January or March. I was like, wait oh. a minute, there's too much. I uh -huh. can't keep. But um before that, I was um I'd listened to like a a lot. Yeah, for sure. And then when they, I just I'm like I didn't do this Abraham thing. And I said, Mm -hmm. yep. I have a stack of books, if you look right here. Oh, I see some fun titles there, yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah, some ones I don't know. Hmm. I always love comparing books with people and, and just seeing, ooh, what's your favorites? What's, what's your go-tos? Oh my gosh. Well, you saw, you read um, the Zion one by, what is that one called, Roger? Um, oh, the Enoch Letters. Have you read that one? Oh, yes, uh-huh. The Enoch Letters. Yeah. So I really like this. And then we're, we're um, I wanted to do Triumph of Zion, but then we're doing this one. Oh, where did I get this uh, one? Yay! That's <laughs> one of my favorite books of all time, yeah. Yeah, but then I just got this one in the mail. I can't wait to do this one. Oh, I've got the digital version, but I haven't started reading it yet. Yeah. Oh, and then, um, oh my goodness, this one. Oh, I have never even heard of that one. Peacekeeper. Is it backwards? The peacekeeper. Oh, is it backwards to you? No, it, it's right. It's by James um, Farrell, F E R R E L L. James L. Farrell. Okay. And then um, Christ in the New Covenant is one of my like old time favorites. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what else is over here? So that stack, is that like your bookshelf or are those just the ones that you're studying right now? Um, well, it holds up my light. Oh, my okay. light here. I had to put it down here because it shines wrong. Um, mm -hmm. And they are the ones that I'm studying. Mm -hmm. So Gileadi's Last Days is here. Oh, the Savior. Oh, my goodness. This is really good. This is our temple president wrote this one. I think we can get it. Um, symbols of the Savior. Symbols of the Savior. Almature. How do you say his name? Almaker. Almaker. So he goes through. There's... um seven symbols right mm -hmm. so water bread stone oil the shepherd and the lamb and alpha and omega and he explains it's just it's a thin book hmm. like he, he's our temple president here in raleigh yeah um, interesting no, i've never even heard of that i'm yeah symbol savior's symbols mm -hmm. i'm gonna read that one too since from the life of the master Yeah, I can't even remember where I was going with Barbara Morgan Gardner's thing, but it might come back I'm to me. Who knows? Yeah. Sorry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, no, you're totally fine. I, I, I love books. Uh, I didn't used to love books. I used to hate reading, but that was my time in Jacob slash Israel category. Now that I'm <laughs> up the ladder, now I love reading. Even though it's such a tour to read, I hate the actual process of it, but knowledge is so fun. Oh, darling, it's so fun to see you shine. <laughs> Um, let's see. Nelson, let's see, renewing the allegiance. Yeah, I can't remember, but it'll come back to me. But there was something in the Priesthood Power of Women that uh, when I read it for the first time, it was like, oh, that's what we're doing. And we're turning a new leaf here in 2018, because I think that's when that book came out, that 
we're really starting to, to open up to receive our, our full stature, our, our full blessings and start picking up speed coming out of this, this lull that we've kind of been in in a church for a while. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> this chapter has so many fun things. Um, I'm just kind of going front to back here, but um, if you have anything that you want to uh, talk about and interject, that, that's awesome. Um, I, I found it interesting at the bottom of 110 uh, where it compares Moses' ministry to the end time servant's ministry. And again, it, it just screams Nelson to me where he has this worldwide ministry. I mean, that was a huge thing, right? Uh, prior to the pandemic that, that he was really just booking it around the world, uh, going to all of these places and declaring repentance and, and helping them come to uh, a fullness. He was announcing temples in lots of these places that he visited. Um, it was just an interesting kind of last push right before the, the pandemic. And then through the pandemic, it actually expands even further because he's able to reach more people more quickly. And, um, and, and like he said in his opening talk at conference, that um, his ministry has just hastened, that, that he has a huge testimony of that hastening. He knew it before, but it's like a stronger testimony now of, of the hastening and the ability for this modern technology to really be the prophet of the whole world and uh, do this so much quicker and, and more efficient to kind of rethink the way that we've kind of boxed ourselves into the gospel in, in times past. You know, it's just the way we've always done it and rethink things. How can we do it better? How can we do things more efficiently? We see with Uchtdorf and his announcements on missionary work all the time uh, with Bednar and the temple things that we're just hastening everything. Just everything's... Uh, we're, we're just making it more efficient. We're uh, living in, in a more synergistic way in order to, to hasten this work before the second coming. I think it's just so fun, but to compare it with Moses here on, on page 110. Um, I, I was asking my mom before class and stuff, like what is Moses's ministry? So like, what are some of the things that we really relate to as he's bringing the the children of Israel out of bondage what are some things that that come to mind um like parting the Red Sea obviously uh, that's a huge one um going up on on Mount Sinai the the when he smote the rock with a staff and brought out the the water the the manna uh, I mean there's lots of miracles that it says accompany Moses's ministry and then look at some of these miracles that are accompanying President Nelson's ministry. Not saying, like, there's, you know, both camps of opinion there that, that President Nelson's the end time servant. And there's lots of people, especially in the Isaiah Institute, that, that don't believe that um, President Nelson is the end time servant. But either way, prophets always have miracles that attend them if they're true prophets, right? And so just looking at some of the miracles here, I mean, we have so many temple miracles with President Nelson. I mean, Burley, Idaho, that we're in like 10,000 people, we don't need a temple. We have Twin Falls, we have Pocatello, we have lots of things around us. And yet there's these little miracles that uh, we see with, with Ephraim and Manti. Like 
holy cow, <laughs> that, that, that's a huge miracle for them. And what he says in there so many times is that we're, we're building for the future and for the future inhabitants of, of this area. There's going to be a huge, whatever you want to call it, refugee movement, whatever that that is going to need those temples and, and the work that's going to be done there. Uh, I think it's just amazing that um, miracles come in lots of different shapes and forms, but I think the principles are the same. You know, we have Moses smiting the, the rock with his staff and then the manna. We have symbols of water and bread um, and, and bringing ordinances into the lives of people where they didn't have that in bondage. And so um, bringing temples closer, bringing uh, those, those ordinances, leading people to God in uh, higher, holier ways and more accessible. I think that's just amazing. Um, the, the connections that, that are put together there on that page. And then I love the map on, on page 113, that, um, that scattering map of um, Israel to Mesopotamia and then to, to Western and Eastern Europe. Um, uh, as you've probably seen that uh, collection of talks that I've put together from President Nelson, um, the, the one talk that he gave, well, he gave it like three different times in different places, but um, it's called Drama on the European Stage. And it's kind of the reverse of this map. So he talks about Western Europe and Eastern Europe and all of the things that he did as an apostle to, to help open up these areas and unlock them to, to gather people back in. Um, the, the main one where it's delineated out really easily is in the 1991 enzyme. I don't have the month, but um, it's called drama on the European stage. And interesting, the drama that plays into this chapter of Isaiah decoded as well with the, the fairy tales and, and all of that. Um, I find it just so intriguing how President Nelson has been so busy his whole time, uh, even prior to an apostle, but, but since being an apostle, he has done many things for the hastening of the work and uh, the fruition of some of those efforts. We have missionaries just all over uh, Western and, and Eastern Europe where they kind of weren't um, before some of his, his ministry over there. I find that very interesting and enlightening how that plays into the whole grand scheme of things. So um, on page 114, this is a, a part that I uh, find fascinating and I wanna talk about. Um, it says that so this end time generation of God's people must put forth more effort to restore those blessings than if they had been born into a state of blessedness. In other words, they must struggle through a descent phase before being able to ascend to a higher spiritual and physical plane. Their disadvantaged state may thus be used to advantage as a means toward ascent. So in what ways have we seen a decent phase in the church since the restoration? And are there multiple? 
uh, or is there just kind of one overarching one? Or how do you see this, this descent phase through um, what we're living? You know, like, are we out of the descent phase yet? Or have we even entered into it? Where, where do we see this principle that Avraham is talking about on 114 playing out? What are your thoughts? I think as a church, we've been through so many different challenges and um, it's really neat just to see where Satan's really on the coattails of the restoration and to divert it, like he's just right there, but you know, God always prevails. <laughs> he always gets mm -hmm. us done, right? Yeah. Was it, um, just a few months ago, there was a whole big controversy about how much money the church had. Well, we know why the church has money um, to help the poor and build temples, right? Yeah. And that's exactly what's happening. But but how he, Satan wanted to spin that and and took with him um, saints that were doing their work to to stay close to him. Mm -hmm. they fall away and you can see the falling away all, all the time um the little little things that happen you can see who goes and then who it makes stronger too you can see that happen yeah. those those would be sense and descents, right because mm -hmm. that that specific issue right there with the with the money and and finances of the church I, was was more a testimony builder for me than than anything it was like well, yeah, of course. And, and here's why that works. And um, I didn't really yeah. know a lot about church finances as, you know, the, the corporation that, that is the church and stuff. But um, diving into that as some of that stuff is brought to light or whatever the arguments were, I was like, oh, man, it, you can just see God's fingerprint all over it. Like, of course, yeah. he's in charge, because there's no way that mortal men can, can work it so perfectly and, yeah. and uh, bless so many lives through it. But yet, man, it took a lot of people with it. <laughs> there, there's a lot of people that uh, look at us and these extravagant buildings that, that we're building for, for no reason kind of thing. Uh, it, yeah, it, the ascent versus descent phase in there is, is very eye-opening. What I noticed while I was growing up, because um, in the early days of the church, it was all build about the coming forth of the Book of Mormon and everything. And the whole time I was growing up, we didn't study that in church, uh, in Sunday school or primary. Book of Mormon wasn't part of the program. We studied the Old Testament and New Testament stuff, but we didn't study the Book of Mormon. And it wasn't until... Um, I wonder if it was spent at President Benson. Uh, but anyway, when we had kids, then they, they started studying the Book of Mormon in, in church. And like by the time you was in there, the Book of Mormon was big. But mm -hmm. the whole time I was growing up, it wasn't. So why was that? Why? I mean, because Benson said that, you know, we are under condemnation for treating the Book of Mormon so lightly. What, what does that mean? Was that uh, a church's uh, decent phase, or um, what? What do you see that as in in that specific context? There, have we come out of it? Have 
what does that mean for our future if that's uh, that prophecy or that pattern is playing out kind of thing? That's interesting. So I was baptized when I was 11. I'm 55. Um, and right after we were baptized, my family moved and they got a second on the house that they purchased. And they told us not to tell anybody that we were Mormons. But the Lord moved us across the street from a strong woman in the church and her four children. Her husband wasn't, wasn't a member. or He was a member, but he wasn't active. But she was very active. And I didn't know that they were members of the church until um, several weeks later. I was up on some boulders playing and their daughter was singing a song. And um, I asked her, what was that song? And she said, oh, it's from church. And I said, what church? Oh, my gosh, that's my church. And so we made that connection. And that was how I got to seminary. And that was how I, you know, I got places because my family didn't, their testimony wasn't strong enough to say, yeah, we're members um, because they had been part of another community church. And anyway, yeah, just like so many interesting faith building stories, but we never had pictures of the savior. We never had family home evening or scripture study or prayers in our home growing up. But I always went to church and I always went to seminary, but I didn't have quite the testimony to pull me through that young adult age. And so I fell away for a few years and then I came back and I was married in the temple to my first husband, but that was a whole big thing. And I was mad at God, mad at God about, mm -hmm. I realized that, you know, I'm the one that made these choices and he showed me, um, told me twice in the temple that I could leave that this wasn't right and I needed to get out of there and I'm like no no I don't have anywhere to go my mom is mad and whatever you know and mm -hmm. so another 10 years that I I didn't go to church and then when I came back um is when I had my first child so it's been 26 years well it'll be 27 years in June and I'm so grateful for that we moved away um from southern California to northern California um that was the beginning of my growth but I just always thought back, you know, I, I miss President um, Kimball and I'm, you know, I miss these prophets and I, and I didn't have President Benson at all, but I go back and read this stuff I'm like, oh my gosh, this is for today. I mean, this is, and I've been thinking this is for today for, um, you know, 10 years, I'm like this is, this is what's coming and, and it, you know, it's all happening, but such a relief. I, I love President um, Hinckley and President Monson and such a relief to drop the Mormon thing and to be Christian and to, yeah. I mean, oh my gosh, that was just like so fabulous. But we, we lost people there too. You know, I lost, I lost my son there. That's where he dropped off. He's in marketing and he's like, President Hinckley did all this stuff and we're, you know, we're wasting all this money. And I'm like, no, we're not wasting this money. This is to open it to the world that's looking for Jesus. They're not like, they're not going to look for Mormon. Mm-hmm. We're not, you know, we're not Mormons, we're Christians, but yeah, he hasn't made that connection yet. And I hope he does Yeah. someday soon, but such a blessing, such a blessing. And all these things that have happened in the last three years are truly inspired, truly inspired. For sure. We had Elder Bednar speak to us in our, um, Northeast Regional Conference today, and he just talked about how many um, baptisms are happening, not here, 
but in other places, the, the missionaries are busy and they're teaching more lessons than they, you know, they're stuck in their apartment and they're teaching more lessons than they ever could. And mm -hmm. he didn't, wasn't here, but um, he, he had to talk about other places. So mm -hmm. exciting. it's such an exciting time. Yeah, really. Uh, we had our state conference today and the mission president was, was saying the exact same thing. Like, this has been such a blessing. We were reinventing the way that we look at things and uh, really being able to, to teach more frequently and uh, it's just opening up lots of avenues. And um, just this, this hastening, we're, we're very, the Lord doesn't hasten things unless there's people worthy of blessings to, to hasten. You know, it, he, he can't work with only Jacob Israel slash people. And so uh, as people start waking up and advancing and, and climbing up the ladder, he can use them in higher and holier ways and hastening his work. And I find that just so refreshing coming to Isaiah decoded and seeing that this has all been prophesied and that there's this plan. It's still like uh, how Uchtdorf says, you know, the, the pandemic didn't catch God by surprise. You know, it kind of caught some of us by surprise, but uh, if we had our eyes open, we, we can see how much God's plan is just playing out, just how he's always told the prophets and, and, you know, we, we can live with faith and not fear kind of thing. And, and well, I think that's what COVID it. is, is a preparatory um, testimony builder for us to, to mm -hmm. show us that, look, we made it through this and I'll take you through the next thing. I took you through this. And I mean, huge things. Like you could pay tithing online. You have come follow me. I mean, all these Zoom meetings, all these things that just, I never felt like we were lacking anywhere. Mm-hmm. I'm, the missionaries will have phones, you know, you don't have to worry about them being stuck in an apartment because they're, and they're talking to their parents every week or more than, you know, more than once a week. Yeah. Well, perfect is that for mission presidents? I mean, how could they minister to 150 stranded missionaries in their apartments, but they have their families that they can talk to and pull through with? Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything's so inspired. I love the the tithing thing because I think of lots of different things that President Nelson's implemented, etc. But that tithing one, that that's huge. Like, <laughs> kind of gone are the days when we write things out on our little slips of paper and, and turn them in and and have to wait till Sunday and stuff. It's so easy, and like, okay, here's my paycheck. Hurry and pay my tithing online, and 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 get it first it's it's easier to make god a priority with this technology and stuff and anyway i you can I do your reimbursements online now too what seriously my husband, and my husband's chuckling because there are still he's a clerk and he says he still gets um oh yeah but most of us yeah. online right? yeah huh that, that's very interesting yeah, online. but there's still some that hand an envelope over uh-huh yeah <laughs> a reimbursement online now you take a picture of your receipt and mm -hmm. request. And then simple appointments start tomorrow online. In the well, simple they do. Tomorrow, yeah, you can make your baptism free. The temples that have baptisms, it's opening up. Have you seen it in your app before under temples that you can- I, I've been looking ever since you mentioned it that one time and I have not seen it in the so app. I think tomorrow but, at two o'clock our time it opens. Okay. But yeah, because right now- Maybe it's different for every temple. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I'm excited for that. Like uh, this app and like the gospel living app and uh, just so many different things that are, mm -hmm. this technology is really going to uh, take us through these next few years that are going to be really hard. And uh, how, um, uh, 
what's popping into my head all of a sudden a quote but i'm gonna be butchering it um it was either holland or bednar or something like that like when president nelson uh started making lots of changes and stuff that first year they said this is just a snowflake in the snowstorm get get ready <laughs> kind of thing i was like oh what's gonna happen and and now it's like we're i think we're just barely starting the blizzard but we're um uh, all of these changes are, are to help us get, get through this. And, and it's- They say buckle your seatbelts and take your vitamins. Uh-huh, yeah. Take your vitamin pills and stuff with- gonna be And the a, vitamin pills and COVID is a thing, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very, very prophetic. I don't, I mean, who knows if he, he knew exactly what COVID uh, was and what was coming, but uh, he knew something was coming at least. And, uh, you know, the- that vitamin pill thing was, was very prophetic in and of itself. I love that. I love going back and watching all of his interviews throughout his worldwide ministry and, and just kind of seeing some of the things that he prophesied, like a little tidbit here and a little tidbit there. He kind of went around the world planting seeds for the end times, it seems like to me. Um, I, I find those so very interesting. As I'm compiling his talks and, and things, um, my fifth volume that I'm going to be working on and starting pretty soon is the um, all of his tweets and, and his worldwide ministry things and stuff. And it's this kind of seed principle. He gives everybody just like one little tidbit, uh, one little piece of the puzzle, and it's just scattering sunshine all over the world. It, I, it's so fun. I'm excited to, to put that collection together. So I'm a little confused. What is the fifth volume? What are the other four? The, all of his oh, talks. So, yeah, all of his talks, but split into decades. So like uh, I finished volume one and two. Volume one is the 70s and 80s. Volume two is the 90s. Volume three is the 2000s. Four is um, uh, since, no, it is 2010 to 2018. And then volume five is since he's become prophet. But I, you know, I haven't started the, the last three volumes yet. I'm, I'm working on them, but uh, I've got a lot of irons in the fire. <laughs> I do. <laughs> but, but those are fun. And um, some of this recent stuff is, is going to be awesome uh, to, to really dive into and, and study. Because 70s and 80s, holy cow, there is so much there to um, look back to and think, man, that the Lord was really preparing him through his, his learnings and studies and, and things, which we'll talk about here in a minute through um, this. Um, where was it? On, on page uh, 125, I, I found this very interesting. At the very top there, it says that when people of Jacob slash Israel make that transition, giving up their false gods for their true God, they experience a metamorphosis, a change of identity. And he's, you know, recently talked about that, metanoeo, that changing the way we think, the way we do, the way we even breathe. Mm -hmm. And then from then on, they become a covenant people. Isaiah compares the transition to the woman's eye and God's wife. And um, if you remember prior to, right prior to becoming a prophet, he uh, extended the challenge to the youth i think it was in the hawaii devotional if i'm not mistaken but um about studying the topical guide uh for the titles of, of jesus christ and, and going through that and he extended that challenge and then he reiterated it after he'd become a prophet um 
And, and what did Wendy, his wife, say? Um, she said that she was talking to him after that experience and says, what have you learned? And President Nelson says, I'm a changed man. And, and this is exactly what he was talking about was the metanoeo principle, that he changed everything about himself by knowing the Savior. When he studied his titles, started studying who he is in relation to, to him, he's a changed man he there's he doesn't even go back to to like there's there's no turning back now he's on a different level of the ladder and that solo study of of christ and his titles is what kind of made that difference there a change of identity and and i think that's so awesome i see you're unmuted mother. <laughs> yeah what was that sorry Sorry, I missed what you said. Say what you said first. Oh, no, I just see that my mom unmuted herself, so I'm assuming she's going to say something there. <laughs> I was, but it's long past. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I get jabbering. You'll just have to butt in. <laughs> yeah. Well, why did you so lull? I'll just say it. When I was little and growing up, uh, to pay tithing, we used to stay after a sacrament meeting and we'd go into the bishop's office and we were all lined up in chairs, the whole bishop's office, and we'd take our turns and we'd go up and, and pay our tithing one by one. And the bishop would stay for a couple of hours just to take our tithing each week. <laughs> they loved it. They loved it when the little kids come in with their pennies. <laughs> I bet you were so excited to do that too. Had uh -huh. tithing every week to have that opportunity. Uh huh. It was such a, such a learning experience. Wow. Yeah, I've never heard that before. That's that's interesting. Um, something that I found interesting on page one fifteen. It's kind of uh, the bottom of the middle paragraph there. It says that in Isaiah's paradigm, Israel represents those, let's see, actually, I'm going to start up a little bit higher than that. So at the time that Jacob makes the transition to a higher spiritual level, the same principle applies to every other level of the spiritual ladder of which Jacob serves as a type. But in Isaiah's paradigm, Israel represents those who have renewed the covenant, but who have, who haven't yet ascended. And Jacob represents those who believe in God, but who haven't yet renewed the covenant. So Jacob slash Israel thus has two subgroups, Jacob and Israel. And I find that very interesting that, um, that it has two subgroups. Does that, like he says up above that every level of the, the ladder kind of has two subgroups, ones that have ascended but um, and renewed the covenant or the ones that haven't yet renewed that part of the covenant. That was a new shift for me the second time reading through this chapter. I hadn't realized that that each level has, has two kind of subgroups in there. But then I, I love just kind of pulling similar phrases together and stuff, but who haven't yet ascended, where else do we see that in scripture? Like when that's quoted we have the savior uh, in, in the tomb and 
he says to Mary, touch me not or cling to me not. I have not yet ascended. And so even in his level right then, there was um, uh, that, that separation. He's made the covenant, but not yet ascended. But we, we find, you know, just a little while after that he does ascend, etc. But um, we kind of get that little insight into um, that, that dual layer of uh, a rung on the ladder. I, I think that that was an interesting insight for me as I uh, read that there, um, the, the not yet ascending part. So while we're on the topic of past history of the church and stuff, on 117, um, my mom was telling me about this today. So I asked her the question, how has the, the quorum of the 70 changed in your lifetime? Or not the quorum of the 70, but just the principle of 70s, that um, part of, of the Melchizedek priesthood. And so just kind of really quickly, just kind of go through some of the history there and how that plays into to what it's talking about here on this page. You're muted there. there you go. Okay. Well, back when I was growing up, <laughs> this is all about when I was growing up, but this was clear through my high school and stuff too. But we had, there was like elders, there were elders and 70s and uh, high priests in the wards and, and, and in the stake. And um, there wasn't that many that were in the 70, but it was that the 70s would usually advance to be in the high, high priests eventually, but they were, that's, I was just in the, in the wards and the stakes. And then, and then I can't remember exactly when the first, the quorum of the 70, happened church-wide you know uh, and that then that was dissolved that wasn't anymore in the ward and stuff and um i got thinking did i dream that all up because it seemed real but then so distant to what we are now but she said yeah that was how it was i asked my mom mm -hmm. yeah that is so interesting so I only remember the area 70s being called, but I don't remember 70s being in the wards or the stakes, high council. This, mm -hmm. this would have been during the 50s and, and 60s. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was totally new to me. I didn't know that that had happened. And then okay. um, I'm going to ask Terry if he remembers that. Terry, do you remember that? He's probably sleeping. That's why he's got his camera off. No. Oh. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> and um, it had mostly to do with welfare, as I remember it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really welfare. want to go back through uh, uh, Elder Ballard's Ensign talks because he gave like a, a five-part series on kind of the history of the priesthood and the how they've changed the different offices and how they function and stuff. And that was... I don't know, probably 10 years or so ago, but I, I want to go back and look that up. Um, but anyway, interesting here, 
that Israel's God offers them the higher law, the terms of his covenant on the son slash servant level. He called them to be a royal priesthood and to minister his salvation to the rest of humanity. But because they, they rejected that, and we know that they get the, the lower law and, and everything, it says that they reneged on their mission of ministering to the world. So they were very myopic in, in their wants and needs and um, decided to just, just be an inward kind of people and not be a, a, a missionary ministering uh, type force. And so, interestingly enough, that's how the Lord compensates for that disparity there, that in Moses's day, 70 elders of Israel's congregation went up and ascended to that ministering level so that they could become that, that missionary force and um, ministering to, to the world. So they saw God on Mount Sinai. They ate and drank in his presence. And their physical ascent on the, the mountain is symbolized their spiritual ascent that preceded that. These 70 elders functioned as servants of God together with Moses. The spirit of prophecy rested on them as it did with Moses, lending them the power and wisdom to minister to God's people. Israel, or Isaiah, predicts a new version of that type at the end of the world, assisted by other servants or elders. God's servants finally bring to pass the salvation of humanity that Moses foresaw. And interesting how ever since the... the reorganization of the 70s and and how it's now in quorums at a general level kind of a thing uh, we do have area 70s as well but that whole structure how that is also in a preparation for this this end time scenario of of prophecy of seeing and eating and drinking in the presence of, of god and being able to, to minister in higher and holier ways. That's so fascinating to me. Um, uh, from that education week class that, that we took from, from Holsefell, that was so interesting. It just like was blowing my mind. But um, the class was called Thursdays are revelatory for us. And uh, how he talked about that uh, the first presidency and quorum of the 12 um, are have these these weekly meetings in the temple on Thursdays, etc. Uh, you know, this is prior to, to COVID, but um, that they actually have a meal in in the temple, and it and it's a high and holy meal that that they they eat there, and um, you know that they're not saying that they're eating and, and drinking with the Savior, but I wouldn't be surprised that they're they're doing things on on a much more important level than sometimes we we give credit for and they have uh, regular sacrament meetings and uh, solemn assemblies and and they bring the 70s in to to lots of those things and i think that this pattern is playing out in our day very much so and it's playing out on the mountain you know in the like these this was on mount sinai and here we have the, the salt lake temple the mountain of the lord etc and they're doing the same things the same patterns are, are playing out in our dispensation and interestingly how the salt lake temple is closed and what they they might be doing to to replace that pattern and yet when the salt lake temple reopens how that's going to to continue on and um 
and be replaced. I, I find all of that very interesting. Some of the, the things that kind of go on beneath our very nose because we're just not uh, aware of, of some of these patterns and, and principles. Um, That's interesting timing for the closing of the like temple or furbishing. Yeah, for sure. So I thought of another one. The scouting program was like so timely. Oh yes, scouting for sure. And that that youth and children program. I mean, so amazing um, that I see our youth just just flourishing and growing with that in so many ways. Yeah. All right. Well, I've kind of monopolized the time. What else did we <laughs> we see in the chapter that we want to kind of discuss or um, talk about here? I think at the bottom of 115, um, I always think about, and, and I'll just say this part first and then I'll read it, but I always think of tithing as more than just money. Tithing is time. Tithing is a lot more than just money. But here is tithing. A small, a small percentage of people throughout the earth respond to the wake-up call. Isaiah compares those who survived destruction to a tithing of the people. As the Israelites anciently gave a tenth of their gains to God, so a tenth of his people will in that day attain the Zion-Jerusalem level. That's very interesting. That kind of brings to mind on his, uh, President Nelson's ministry that he talks about, you know, the church isn't going to be this, this massive force in, in the world, like as far as numbers, you know, we're, we're still going to be relatively small when Christ comes again and stuff that, that kind of makes me think of this 10th, that tithing principle that, that you just talked about there. So, and then that, help, help me with this one, the, the saviors on Mount Zion carrying them on their shoulders. What is that? And then, then, then I, I wish I could put this all together like you can, but <laughs> also it, it only takes one person to lead a large group. So it doesn't need to be a, a lot of people. It just needs to be a lot of ones in a lot of areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, lifting where we serve and, and stuff. As a worldwide church, <clears throat> <clears throat> like, in, in dispensations past, you know, the, the church body has been kind of all together, but now that we're this worldwide church and um, the, the structure of authority and keys and uh, ministering that, that we have, like you said, a lot of ones that are, are taking care of their uh, area kind of thing. Uh, sometimes that that comes, uh, let me rephrase. Sometimes that comes through keys and, and things, but sometimes it just comes through our own personal responsibility and spheres of influence kind of thing, you know, like just being endowed with power gives us that, that responsibility in our neck of the woods kind of thing. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I love that principle. I haven't read the book yet. My mom has the Becoming Kings and Queens by Avraham Gileadi, and um, I think that that's, that plays a huge part into the Davidic covenant and carrying them 
on our shoulders and, and in our bosoms and stuff. I'm, you know, I'm butchering that, <laughs> that scripture there, but. Well, we learned part of that in the temple too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then there's the whole fairy tale thing. That that's a a fun uh, section of, of the chapter as well. Um, I it, it's interesting how the Lord leads us along in our learning, right? And when something starts popping up in multiple places, then that's how I know to to go and study, kind of thing. And fairy tales are are really popping up all over the place. They're popping up here. They're popping up in like my Mary Magdalene class. They're they're just everywhere. Uh, the this thought of fairy tales and yeah, the deeper meanings and and things there. That's why I'm kind of going to be diving into the fairy tales here pretty soon and. Um, so I had issues with that until um, when he was um, in the first presidency, President Uchtdorf talked about fairy tales. Remember that talk? Uh-huh, yeah. So you had issues with it, like... Yes, um, well, just because it's so wrapped up in Disney and issues with... Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Disney. Me too, because I do not like Disney. I, I think that Disney's very off base and polluting uh, <laughs> things. So I, yeah, I, I definitely have a problem with that as well. But um, going back to some of these um, ancient fables and, and stories and, and things and looking at the, the reasons that they came about and, and stuff. And then, you know, like, like Satan does, I don't think that, you know, necessarily Walt Disney himself was, was trying to pollute the things, but it definitely has become a conglomerate of cesspool it's not the same uh, thing with the mythologies mm -hmm. yeah and, and mythology like I, I didn't study that with my children but this children these children that we take care of um during the week they have it i'm like i can hardly read it to them and then when i do i have to explain them <laughs> right yeah <laughs> exactly and, and it's just interesting some of these these stories and fables and parables and trying to sift through and discern what is true and what what parts we can actually take in assimilate to, to further our light and knowledge and what things to discard kind of thing um like for an example this is a random one but like wizard of oz wizard of oz is one of the most inspired in the original form it one of the most inspired endowment ceremonies that that you could ever have and yet it, it gets taken lots of different ways and interpreted and hollywoodized and, and all of this but he had it as a dream that burrows or i can't even remember his name actually i don't quote me on that one but he had it as a dream and then he decided to, to put it into a story form and, and write it out and stuff now it's just so fascinating how that came to him and uh, without ever hearing about the church or any contact in his life with the church in any way shape or form but yet it's something was inspired there for a purpose and you know uh, who knows exactly what that is but yes uh, we all learn in different ways and some of us need to have the wizard of oz to help us understand good and evil 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, how many times do people quote Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or whatever? And Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, Chronicles of Narnia, Star Wars. I, I don't know how many times I've heard Star Wars quoted over the pulpit, but like that, yes, there are truths yeah. in them, but you know, nothing contains the full truth except for for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, it's just interesting how how parables, even the Savior taught in parables, and how these stories can um, morph and transform, and yet still pack a lot of power if we we take the time to dive in and learn by the spirit through them. Uh, anyway, that's kind of my next little avenue of study that I'm going to kind of go down. I'm going to be putting that on the, the Learning Zion website as I kind of go through that that process. But anyway, I, fairy tales are, are very interesting here in Isaiah Decoded where um, just going through that the on page 121 there that the virgin daughter of Zion is usually the heroine, God's end time servant, the hero or the prince, the harlot Babylon or the evil stepmother or the witch, the king of Assyria Babylon is the ogre or a giant, the angelic emissaries, the fairies or secret helpers, Babylon's reprobates or the ugly stepsisters, and then generic characters are represented by the Jacob slash Israel category. I find that very interesting now as I'm trying to kind of go back through, I haven't went back and watched any of these shows, but, but just kind of going through some of these old fairy tales and thinking, oh, <laughs> so the ugly stepsisters on this level of the ladder, oh, okay. And then looking how each level of the ladder ministers to the ones below it in these stories, how they're played out. It's like, man, <laughs> there, there's something there and it kind of, once you understand, once you have the answer key, you can kind of see some of the the patterns and be able to, to kind of relate them in your life. But um, anyway, I, I just love that. When uh, me and my mom were uh, studying just right before this, we were looking at uh, page 124, I believe. Yeah, at the bottom, it says that we have to pay a price that banishes the curse. And so I was just asking her, like, what are the curses that we have in our, our princess stories kind of thing? So we have like the spindle, the apple, the uh, losing the voice, the, the, the pumpkin principle. We have all of these different like little curses here. And how do they overcome them? How does it say here? By renewing the covenant and keeping its terms. So looking at these princess fairy tales, what is it that always breaks the curse? I mean, they all have their different nuances to them, but for the most part, it's through true love's kiss or, or a lover's kiss kind of thing. Why is the kiss the thing that breaks the curse? And how does that relate to, to what Avraham is saying here? We have to pay the price that banishes the curse. And what is that price? It's renewing the covenant. If we look at at symbolism, just the, the basic elemental symbolism, um, the, the lips represent the vesica Pisces shape, and that shape is the, the symbol for covenants. And so how did they escape the, the curse of the spindle and the apple and, and, and everything? It, it's from true love's kiss, the, the, the renewing of a covenant, keeping the covenant terms. I find that very interesting. I was like, <laughs> who knew that that some of these things had uh any kind of meaning to to pull out of them 
yeah anyway there, <laughs> there's a tangent there i no it just makes me think that there's more people that are inspired than just what we have in the scriptures there's more stories that come forth and there's ways that people tell different stories or different ways to portray them um partridge in a pear tree was at the time that they you know the story of that i i won't be able to tell it all but they couldn't share the gospel but they could share it through the song and that's what they taught their children mm -hmm. there were times that they couldn't teach these things but they could teach it through these fairy tales yeah right i mean look at that song right there like it is one of the most annoying repetitive songs like <laughs> but but it's great for children right because they can remember the words because it's repeated so often and and look at that pattern in the gospel when we repeat things we we get them cemented in right and so um going through the the pattern and the order and um how how amazing that was for them and our day looking at those those hidden traditions and yet over time, the answer key kind of faded away. And we still sing the song, but oftentimes we don't even know what we're singing. Well, all those symbols of Christmas were to teach the, all of them, the tree, the wreath, the candle, all those things were to teach when you couldn't really talk about or mm -hmm. have. So I, I don't know the time frame of the, of the fairy tales, but I wonder if it's during that same time when you couldn't freely share the gospel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, that's what I'm kind of working up to in, in some of my research and stuff that it's very much when the Christians go into hiding and, and can't talk freely, they adopt, they either reverse the teaching so that it, it can't be recognized or they, they teach it in, in some sort of pagan form. So like, for example, three little pigs, like three little pigs, pigs are not a kosher animal. And so they, they reverse it so that it's not recognized as a Jewish or Christian thing, but that they can still teach the, the principle or the story kind of thing and um, have meaning go along with it. And so that, that plays into to, to Christmas and, and all of these things that they, they just have to hide all of their stuff, but they're still actively teaching their children um, all of this. And interestingly enough, as we go through our own primary children's songbook, how some things are just blatant as or blatant uh not shrouded in in mystery or or symbolism but some of them are and um how, popping on the apricot tree <laughs> uh-huh yeah yeah exactly that that's one of them so uh, what is that one i never figured that one out <laughs> <laughs> oh what I, I i was studying this one like last year I forget what it was popcorn popping on the apricot tree I don't know. I I'll, I'll have that one next week. I've got to find my notes on on. I have a notebook on the the primary children's songbook, of, of some of the different things that are pulled out of there. They they wrote them symbolically, even in the the early days of the church, which is oh, interesting. Goodness. Yeah. Wow. But yeah. Just as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to be able to remember what that is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyway, there's going to be a time that we won't be able to speak freely again, right? Mm -hmm. I that. So are we ready for that time? <laughs> I know. How many oh, of yeah. us know symbolism? How many of us know how to to speak in a, yeah. in a coded way kind of thing like these early Christians did? 
uh, I think we'll, we'll have to revert a lot to some of the, the ancient ways and um, pick those back up so that we can talk in and still carry on some of these, these teachings and traditions and stuff. It, it's going to be interesting. I don't know. But yeah, I, we've lived in such a, a cushy time where, you know, that we can still, you know, be faithful Latter-day yeah. Saints, faithful Christians, and, and proclaim it loud and wide, you know, don't be ashamed. But uh, there will come a time when we have to kind of go through a descent phase where, where we kind of have to go into hiding and uh, to, to keep away from, from the Antichrist's uh, oppressive hand kind of thing. Which is going to be probably the greatest time in history before the greatest time in history. <laughs> worst of the worst, right before the best. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yet, you know, there's still a little bit of nervous there, but I'm trying. I not think to we'll be it. fine. We made it through COVID. I mean, we're yeah. doing great, so it's going to be okay. <laughs> yep, for sure. This is the pre-show, and and we did it. <laughs> <laughs> we got through dress rehearsals. Let's do this. Hopefully. Keep us yeah. Um, anything else before we close out for the night? It's been fun. I, <laughs> I never know where to, to quite go and how, which things to, to cover because there's so much packed into these chapters and we're just kind of doing a quick overview of all of them, but, but it, it's always fun to see, um, different perspectives and stuff because I'm just studying with my mom all the time and, and branching out getting other ideas and things to pull into it I'm definitely going to be looking up these books that uh, you've got there uh, got those on my book list um let's see yes all right well we will see y'all later <laughs> have a great week thanks <laughs> good night good night